Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 253. And today is Tuesday, November 16th in the year 2021. My guest on today's episode is Lucien Zayan. He is the founder and the artistic director of the Invisible Dog Art Center. He actually does a lot of things. <laughs> he travels, he's a chef, and we get into all of that. But I found out about him because of the Invisible Dog. It is a, it's an old factory building on Bergen Street in Brooklyn in like the Cobble Hill, Borum Hill area. And it was built all the way back in the 1860s. And so what he's done is try to preserve its original structure and really a majority of its original structure while turning it into an art and performance space. It's really beautiful. It feels like a stage. It feels kind of like a stage part of like, mm, kind of reminds me of something nautical, like the belly of an old ship. It's really, really beautiful. And you would never know this from the street, but above the art and performance space are a ton of artist, artist residencies. And I was really fortunate that Lucien took me up there. You go in this old freight elevator and it's rickety. And as you're going up, the walls have been painted with words. And I didn't read them at first. I looked at them and I'm like, ah, is this from the original building? And he's like, no, that is Dante's Inferno. <laughs> so the levels that we're going up here are, are the seven levels, uh, of the Inferno, right, of hell. And then as I'm starting to read the words, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, this is not from the original building. So then you get upstairs and there's a common area and there's all these beautiful individual artist residencies. There are painters and sculptors. There was a jewelry maker. And each individual space had its own personality. Of course, there's art everywhere. It's a deeply inspiring place. It's so, so, so cool. If you have an opportunity to go there, uh, you've got to. I know you can just kind of like pop in to the art center and they're going to have um, a market there soon, I think starting December 4th. So I'm not sure if you're allowed upstairs, but maybe you can reach out and ask them for a tour because it's so cool. Now, people were coming in and out. So we actually recorded a couple of buildings over at Lucian's home. And this is also where he does his, uh, his chef parties, his dinners. If you go to their website, you can find out all about that and he'll talk about it. So I don't want to spoil anything, but also an incredibly inspiring place with all this wonderful art. And I'm just, I'm always so appreciative that I'm, I'm a stranger, but people welcome me time and time again into their homes, into their place of work, uh, into very unique spaces. And I'm very fortunate for that. So thank you to him for doing this. And I love this conversation. I think it's super interesting for all of you. Go to the notes in the player that you're listening to this to in, and you'll have a link to his, uh, the Invisible Dog website, but then also to his social media accounts. Give them a follow. He's curating a lot of really cool stuff uh, that you can sort of branch out in different directions and, and go down some, some pretty cool rabbit holes if you follow him. Also, there is a link for my Patreon account. It's a subscription-based service 
where you can give monthly and get some cool kickbacks like the merch that I do and shirts and stickers and stuff. Uh, Patreon supporters will be getting a book very soon because I'm going back to Maryland at the end of this week to record for a second time with Dr. Bill Schindler, and I'm excited about that. All right, Voyagers, enjoy this conversation with Lucien Zayan. Okay. Well, Lucien, first of all, thank you for having me. First of all, like I said uh, before we started recording, a stranger in your home, um, but also to the beautiful space that we will inevitably be discussing today. So thank you so much. I You're appreciate welcome. it. Thank you for having me. I've asked people this before, but I'm fortunate enough that I get to sit down with people that do an, uh, an array of amazing things. Um, when we worked in schools, if you had to do things outside of like your job purview, we called it wearing many hats, right? Sort of a way to like <laughs> make you okay with the fact that you had to do extra work. Uh, but I would say uh, in an affectionate way that you do wear many hats. So when you meet people uh, for the first time and you're like, hi, I'm Lucien, what is it that you say that you do? Oh, I usually don't talk about what I'm doing. Really? Uh, yes. Um, because uh, as you said, there's too much things. <laughs> yeah. And it's usually boring. You won't hear other stories than, than maybe after in the middle of the night, yes, but not at the beginning of the night. So um, if I really want to answer your question, I would say usually I answer that I'm supporting artists. I work mm. with artists and I try to help them in their work and career. Okay. So it's pretty vague. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's a little mysterious. I like that. <laughs> Um, you were born in France. I was born in Marseille, in the south of France. Okay. Yes, in 1965. And then you moved to Paris? And then I moved to Paris, as um, almost everybody wants to do that, um, in France. So I moved to Paris when I was 18. I lived most of my life in Paris, but I also traveled a lot. I lived for three years in Egypt. Mm. Um, one year in Jerusalem, um, and then 13 years ago, I moved to New York City. Okay. What, which is very, very similar city. To Paris? No, Marseille. Oh, really? And Alexandria in Egypt, yes. There's many things in common between these three cities. Okay, I'm going to unpack some of that um, because it's making me curious. But... What really like prompted the whole genesis of this podcast was I started traveling and traveling extensively and I was having conversations with people that were just like this. Like maybe sometimes they weren't, they felt kind of like innocuous, like not even like the sexiest of conversations. But I can recall I was in Vietnam and I had a conversation with a student who was learning German and I know a little German and like that was the only common tongue that we had because she spoke Vietnamese. And to me, that felt really special. Uh, even though it was like very basic conversations. And um, it's enough. It's enough, exactly. More than, more than that, yeah. But I was thinking like, I could put this out into the world. It interests me, maybe it'll interest other people. So that's how I end up in places with people like you. But for my guests, often, sort of like with us, there's just a few minutes before we meet. Uh, I come to the conversations having the privilege of research and looking into the person's life so that I can speak intelligently in the conversation. For you, a lot of what I'm able to see is things from New York, um, aside from some 
interviews that you've done where I could learn a bit about your past. But I'm very curious about uh, your early life and young years <laughs> in, Paris, in Paris and in Marseille and like what you were getting into and what your interests were at that time. Well, I was, I was, uh, I was, um, the, let's say the beginning of my life was pretty complicated. First, I was premature. So I was born at seven months. Whoa. So it was already very complicated. And then um, I didn't like school. I was a very nice kid, if you want, if you go so far. I was a very nice kid, but I didn't like school very much. And um, I um, stopped school when I was 16. I decided no more school. Uh, I don't like that. I don't like to learn what I'm learning at school. Mm. But beside that, I was already a big fan of Richard Wagner. I was listening the ring cycle when I was 10. I was reading books most every day. Um, so I had my own culture and I was way enough. And there was one thing I wanted to do was working. Hmm. I was fascinated by work. I just wanted to work, but I didn't know what. I was very undecided about that. So I did many jobs. Um, I did bartender. That was nice. I was making a lot of money. And I was 16, I think, when I started bartending. Uh, I was making a lot of money. My parents were not very happy with that, but they were also very cool. And they said, okay, if you like that, it's fine. And then after bartending, I decided that I want to be a hairdresser, mm. a hair designer. And But I didn't want to go to school again. I said, there's no way I can learn that. So I went, I found someone um, who, was, who took me as intern in his um, hair salon and taught me everything about cutting hair. But of course, after two years, I've decided I didn't like that very much. And I wanted to change and I wanted to be an actor. Wow. And uh, so I, to be an actor, you have to go to school. There's no other option. So I signed up for the acting school in, in Paris and where I spent two years. And very quickly, I discovered that I didn't like that because I didn't want to be an actor. I wanted to be a star. Ah. And that was a big difference. And um, I wasn't handsome. I wasn't like... Who says? <laughs> no, but I wasn't this, this I, I, <laughs> trend. You know, I wasn't yeah, yeah. the guy at all. Um, I think I was a pretty bad actor, to be honest. Also. Mm. And I was not a very good actor. I could have been better, but I was not very good at that. I didn't really enjoy that. And that's the moment where I've decided to um, go to Egypt and spent a few months with my parents. They were living there. And when I arrived in Egypt, I had, um, I can't even say the chains. There was like a real um, complot. Mm. I met this um, guy who was the director of the French Institute in Alexandria, and he just arrived. And uh, he was looking for someone to help him because he was brand new and he needed someone who knew a little bit Egypt and the city. And so he hired me and I spent three years working with him. And that's where I have discovered the backstage okay. of the performing arts. That's where I have discovered there was tech, technician, accountant, production, production manager, people who are selling tickets, box office, and all of that. And I was absolutely fascinated by this world. And I said, that's what I want to do. Mm. I want to be backstage, absolutely not on the stage. And I want to work 
with artists that way. So I went back to Paris and, um, and I found a job in a theater in Paris, Théâtre de l'Odéon, where I started my career. And, and until now, I know yeah. that was the right choice. Often when you're at a young age and you're reading books and you're into music, often that comes from your parents' influence. No, absolutely not. Really? What no. were your parents doing? No, my parents were, they were reading. Both of them were reading, but they were not like cultural people. Okay. I don't think my parents, my mom took me to the movie theater sometimes. Yes, I remember I saw Joe with her. And um, uh, I don't know the title in English, Inferno Tower. Okay, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I remember she took me to see these two movies. But beside that, not so much. We n never went to the theater, I think, together. Oh, wow. Not opera, not classic music. Yes, there was books at home, for sure. But that was really myself. Oh, that's really that. interesting. And I rem even remember when I was um, young, I was listening um, The Ring Cycle and I was putting sheets around me and crowns and I was performing in my bedroom like that and, and my mom was always saying to my father, this is weird, this is very strange, she's <laughs> doing that. But I discovered like many years after why. It's just because it was Wagner and we are Jewish. Ah. But I, I didn't know that. So for many years I didn't understand why she was thinking this is weird to do that. Yeah. And she tried to, she tried to forbid me to this in Wagner didn't work. Wow, that's really interesting. You know, now that you say Alexandria, it's like, it's clicking in my mind, like, oh yeah, of course, Library of Alexandria. I went to Cairo, but I was there for a layover that we were like, okay, we have to turn this at least into a day here because we have to see the pyramids. Um, yes. So we did that. But in that very brief amount of time, obviously it's not enough to understand culture at all. But I took it to be a more conservative place. And obviously Cairo's likely different from Alexandria. Um, but in terms of the arts there, how much are they supported in Egypt? Well, the, um, I, I don't know that really because um, first it's a long time ago. Um, but for me, my, my stay in Alexandria was life-changing. Really? Because all of a sudden I understood who I was. So I have this half part of me who was French, born and raised in France and French with the French education and oh, I knew the French codes and all of that. That was okay. But I always had this, this feeling that there was something else. But my parents were not hiding that, but was trying to make me a perfect uh. French guy. And my part of Egyptian culture, because both of them were born in Egypt um, and 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 grew up in Egypt. So this part was hidden somewhere. And when I went there, all of a sudden, all my Egyptian roots start to grow and bloom, I don't know how you say, inside, yeah, yeah. inside me. Um, so much that I had even a skin problem, a very, very bad skin problem. Oh. Uh, and I ch my, my skin changed completely like a snake. Whoa. Yes, it was so powerful. That is really wild. <laughs> so when you came to Brooklyn, was that the first time you came to the States or not? It was the, no, it was not the first time. I came to the States in 1993. 
Oh, okay. As a tourist. Different world then, yeah. A week in New York City. So, let's say, was really my first time when I came here. Wow. Um, I, did, I remember like a few things, but it was, again, one week vacation. So, it was nothing. So, I arrived here, yes. I was pretty new and, and um, I didn't know anybody when I arrived here. Uh, and that's why I chose, actually, uh, New York City. Because I wanted to escape um, from my um, life in France. I didn't kill anybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I wanted to escape. I wanted to do something new. I wanted to... I was 43 at this time, so probably my, my middle age crisis. Mm. And, um, and I looked at the map and I said, where can I go? And I had two choices. Two cities, very attractive to me. The first one was Berlin. Okay, yeah. For the reason. Obvious reasons. Obvious reasons, yes. And uh, the second one was New York City. In both of them, I didn't know anybody. Um, I, I knew Berlin a little bit more because I went to Berlin. But finally, I decided it would be New York for only one reason. Because Berlin was too much a party city. Yeah. And still I is, knew... Yeah. Still is, yes. <laughs> and I knew... Um, but 13 years ago was really, I don't know how it is now, but 13 years ago, trust me, it was amazing. It was really incredible. And I knew if I was going there, I would spend my time partying. Mm. And I didn't want that. That was not um, the goal of this escape. The goal was to be really be by myself and rebuild my life, my private life, my professional life. Mm. And New York City was far enough. You know, when you have to cross a sea... Oh, yeah. It has a sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you're far. It's a better midlife crisis than buying a Ferrari. I'll <laughs> tell you that. That's. I mean, that's exciting. Uh, did you know at that time that you did want to have a space where you would be curating Absolutely art? Not. Wow. I knew nothing, and I'm going to make you smile because guess what's the first job I found when I arrived here? Receptionist at the hair salon. Really? Yes. My niece, my young niece, connected me with a friend of her uh. who was a friend, who was a husband, who was a hair salon here in New York City, and they hired me to be a receptionist. And I found that very funny. That's, and it was like just a day job, just to, to leave. Yeah. I arrived without money, without anything, so it was good for me to do that. It was an easy job, not very complicated. Um, to do, just say hello, how are you, take appointments, and that's it. Um, but it was, yes, it was quite a strange coincidence. It, it could have been a bar, it could have right. been a restaurant, it could have been anything, flower shop. I was thinking driver, no. a lot of people yes, who first come to the States. anything could have been. No, it was her salon. It was, it last, like, I don't know, it was like a month, so I did that. Oh. So, not more than that, but no, when I came here, I had absolutely no idea of what I wanted to do. And that was not the subject of my trip again. Yeah. I just want to be alone by myself for three months, which is the time of the tourist visa to be here. Wow. And it's only two months after. And when I arrived, it was 2008. And it was the beginning of the financial crisis. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I didn't know anything about that because in France, we're never talking about that. So... I didn't even understand what was this 
um, financial crisis. Why people are talking about that all the time, all the time, all the time? And I was seeing people crying in the street, losing their jobs, restaurants closing overnight and stuff like that. So it, it, was, it was very present everywhere. But when you don't understand something, you just go through. Right. It just doesn't touch you. Wow. So this didn't touch me, really. And um, the only thing who really, really bothered me when I arrived here was the cold. Okay. I was not used <laughs> to this crazy winter and snow. And I was not, I didn't have the right shoes. I didn't have the right coat for that. So that was really horrible. But beside that, it was fine again. Um, and um, one day I've discovered this building absolutely by coincidence. It was let's, another great coincidence. Let's tell people about it. Um, yeah, let's let's tell people about the space and and how you came to to turn it into what it is. So I've, I had the chance to discover the, the building, and there was a, there was a sign on the building for these. So I just called the number, um, and the landlord answered to me, and I said I would love to visit your building, but it was more curiosity than anything else. And uh, he said, fine, when would you like to do that? I said, well, I'm in front of the building right now, if you're around. And he said, yes, I'm just next door, I'm coming. And he gave me a tour of the building. And each step, I was falling in love mm. more and more and more for the space, for the volume, for the lights, the smell of the wood, the, the bricks everywhere. Um, we, will, we will have a quick tour um, of the space, but the space was absolutely, absolutely magic. Yeah. It was beautiful. And I spent my whole life in theaters, so in spaces. <gasps> um, so I, I have this passion for um, a house. What's, um, but I have to say this one was incredible. And while I was working with him, the idea of creating an art space pop up in my mind and at the end of the tour um, the tour was actually pretty long because we talked a lot and and um, we, we got along really well together and at the end I told him I would like to rent your space, I don't have money I don't have working <laughs> visa, I don't have connection, I don't have anything and I just said that you know like the, the kids when they are fearless they can do well, they are fearless they can do whatever they want to do nothing stopped them. I was exactly in the same mood. I wanted to do this project, and this project will be an art space, a safe place for artists. And I did it. How have you? Actually, I'm going to pin that for a second because I just remembered the building was once owned by the Disney Company. No, the biz the building was owned by a Greek guy okay. called George Zorbas. He was the former owner of the building. And Zorbas um, had this factory. This factory was making belts and cheap jewelries, like plastic stuff, ah. and stuff like that. And in 1970, Zorbas, Zorbas sorry, invented the famous invisible dog leash, which ah. is a rigid leash with a little harnet at the end. And people were just walking that. And the main client 
of Zorbas was Disney. Okay. So the leash were sold in every Disney park in the, in the country. So as an homage to that, you kept the name. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, because during the tour with my landlord, he was telling me very often, invisible dog, invisible dog, invisible dog. And I, said, Why and I was thinking my English is bad. I don't understand really what he's saying. So I asked him the question. I said, what do you mean by invisible dog? And he looked at me like, well, you don't know what invisible <laughs> dog is? I said, no. And uh, so he explained to me. So immediately I said, well, if we do this project, we'll call the space the invisible dog. It's the perfect. And it's funny because I remember I asked my French friends, if I create an art space and I called it Invisible Dog, what do you think about that? 100% told me. It's totally stupid, Lucien. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. It's the most ridiculous idea you, you ever had. And I was asking my few American friends, if I create an art space and I called it the Invisible Dog, what do you think? Amazing. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you should do it. I said, okay, done. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, New York is a place that supports art. And yeah. probably right now, if you're a starving artist, you're like, what the hell are you talking about, Tim? I'm starving. I get that. But, you know, more so than, not to like exaggerate too much, but like rural Nebraska, right? Um, and But because of that support, there are a lot of art spaces um, all around the city and all the boroughs. How are you able to maintain longevity and interest in the way that you have in your space when I guess maybe maybe it's a misperception, but it feels as if maybe there's a lot of competition in the city. Well, um, there is no secret or there is no secret recipe to do that. Mm. Um, you just have to be a good manager, you know, because be behind art, there's also money. Yeah. Um, it's a real business. You have to spend the money you have and not spend the money you don't have. Mm. Um, have to be very. I'm responsible of 27 resident artists in the building. They have their studio at the Invisible Dog. Okay. So I can't just like play whatever I want, and it's. I have to be very serious. So you were talking about my hats, right? My different hats. Um, so for that, yes, I'm very Jekyll and Hyde. Like part one part is the curator where I'm building projects with artists and it's fun, it's great, let's go, let's do that and more and more and more. But the other part is how can we fund this project um, and how to maintain also a 40,000 square feet building alive. Yeah. Um, every day we have to pay the electricity, the gas. So that's just management, I would say. It's nothing more than that. Okay. Have just to be a good manager and be careful with that. Um, so, for example, at the Invisible Dog, um, I don't have debt, zero dollar debt, nothing, not even. Oh, that's amazing! Not even a credit card, absolutely never. Why? Not because I'm a super manager. It's just I didn't know that when I arrived here, because that was one of my big discovery when I arrived in America. I didn't know we don't have in France this system of credit history really? and credit card. No, you spend the money you have. Ah. That's it. You can't spend more money than you have. So when you have a credit card, if you don't have money on your bank account, the card says stop, it's finished, it's over. Nothing wow, here. I never knew that. Yes. <laughs> Does every then exhibition and every performance, are you like the final say on what gets chosen to be shown in the, at the Invisible yes, Dog? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I decide everything at the Invisible Dog. Okay, wow, cool. Simple. 
So I'm going to ask you about two recent um, performances slash exhibitions that you had. I believe downstairs, one of the people that was passing by was Mirna, who just had a performance. And I was wondering if you could explain what that was, because that seemed super interesting. Yes, Mirna, uh, I met Mirna three years ago when she was um, invited by Bard College um, for a performance dinner. So I attended the performance dinner because one of my hats is also be a chef. So I'm interested in people who are cooking or talking about food. And um, I loved the dinner and we met with Mirna a few days after here in New York City and we promised that one day we would do something together. And we did. Um, she just spent months and a half residency here at the Invisible Dog cooking, um, presenting her work. She made three dinners at the Invisible Dog, two dinners at uh, Mirna, the restaurant of PS1, oh, cool. uh, MoMA PS1. Um, and she's meeting people every day, but most of the time we spend time in the coffee together, the coffee shop together, talking about. Um, I think it was um, the program of her residency here. And her work is like promoting Palestinian liberation. Yes, so yeah. uh, she's working on the disappearance of um, the Palestinian food and Palestinian cuisine. So she spend her time traveling in Palestine and meets people oh. who has this knowledge because nothing is written um, really there's like a few books but not very much but still all this culture and tradition that has mostly disappeared and uh, she's collecting all these memories mm. and um, give them new birth that's really cool yeah, I should chat with her sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I'm, I'm, I can't remember the name, but you'll surely know. Um, the dinner presentation with the dogs. The dinner party. The dinner party. Yes. Okay. When I was looking at that, do you know Wallace and Gromit? Uh, the, it's, a, it's a cartoon, right? It's a cartoon that uses uh, like stop motion animation with clay figures. And that is what it made me think of is like being a kid and seeing these old uh, like stop motion claymation shows and movies. Um, the, the sculpture were made in clay, yes. Ah, okay. A, like a, a layer of clay on them, yes. So what, I guess, what was that all about? That looked so fascinating. Well, the, 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 the idea of the dinner party, so the artist, his name is Stephen Morrison, and uh, he's working with dogs. Dogs are the subject of his work. He's doing everything with dogs. Painting, sculpture, performances, anything. So he's transforming any objects in dogs. Mm. That's, he loves yeah, that. Yeah, I saw a cauliflower. You saw the cauliflower, <laughs> but there is the lemon. There is actually there is one just here. Oh, cool, cool. Um, um, this one parted too much. Um, that's why he's bleeding like that. Uh, <laughs> um, and we were together with a friend of us during the lockdown. Okay. And um, at one point, the question was, what are you missing the most? And I answered, dinner parties. Mm. Because I love having people around the table and um, spending all night eating and drinking and smoking and talking and all of that. I love that. And, um, and Morrison came with this idea of creating um, a huge installation of an absolutely crazy dinner party 
um, turning wild. At that moment, or the moment of the show, is like the end of the dinner itself. The party oh. starts, and everybody is high and drunk, yeah. <laughs> horny, and everything. There was everything in the um, in the show, but it was also um, an answer to the pandemic mm. um, because I, the whole time of the pandemic, and. I always been extremely careful to not talk about that. In my newsletter, in the program I made, um, I said, let's talk about things we are missing and things we want. Okay, the pandemic is there, it's our life now. So that's why this big dinner party um, uh, was a response to the, to the pandemic and um, the way we lived for almost two years separated from each other mm. so much distance what we are doing here is like you and me like that like a year and a half was would have been impossible yep you see so um and of course the show has been a huge success because everybody understood the message of we want to be together again Ah, oh, I did these remotely for a year and it was horrible. I hated it. Like it's awkward. It's hard to tell when someone's like finishing a thought. Mm -hmm. And now when I reach out to people, like I'll drive four hours just to meet someone to record. Mm -hmm. um, but some people will be like, oh, would, could we do it remotely instead? I just say, sorry, no, yeah, I yeah. just, ah, yeah, it's not the same. I thought I had read, maybe it was that exhibition that you had some like, Shoes, I think you had brought from from Egypt. Was it? Was it that wow, one? Wow, you're well informed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, one of the pair of shoes, um, because each dog was dressed actually pretty much like me, and um, and one of the pair of shoes was um, um, tap shoes. You call that tap yeah, shoes? Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, two colors, black and white. Oh, cool. My father offered me. It was handmade by a shoemaker in, in Egypt. And that was a gift from my father. And can you imagine, I always had, had these shoes mm. in my bags. So 35 years later, they ended in the show. All right, I'm going to say I something. I never wore them. I think I wore them maybe once in my life. That's it. Really? Yes. Oh, that's very cool. It's like a, little, it's like a <laughs> hidden Easter egg in the, in the, in the greater exhibition. Um, what was I thinking? Oh, I'm going to say something that might sound pretentious and I don't, I truly don't mean it that way. Um, but I started to travel in summers, uh, working in charter schools. You don't really get a summer, especially as an administrator. So I would have to negotiate to have July off and I was able to always do that or mostly always do that. And whenever we would come back to the school year in August, there would always be like an icebreaker activity, a get to know you mm -hmm. because there's such high teacher turnover and you'd have all these new people. And, you know, I was, I was like, I was eating camel in Morocco. I was getting lost in the jungle in Laos. Like these were really transformative experiences that I had only dreamed of when I was younger. And now I'm able to live them. And I would come back and I would have these icebreaker activities where people would say, well, what did you do this summer? You know, and people would say like, well, I, I caught up on all the Netflix shows I wanted to watch. 
or like I went to Six Flags theme park and I'm not trying to like say like what I did was so much cooler, but I had a, a really difficult time relating to that and a really difficult time relating to small talk. People would be like, well, on a Monday morning, did you watch the Grammys? Did you watch the Super Bowl? And I truly didn't care. <laughs> and I wonder, like, you are constantly surrounded by really interesting people doing interesting things, really talented people. What makes you believe that? <laughs> am, am I wrong? <laughs> yes, in part. Really? Of course. There's I mean, boring people everywhere. Yeah, well, I was wondering, like, <laughs> I even think, like, looking at all the cool art around us, like, do do you ever have trouble relating to like small talk situations from people outside of the world you operate in? I'm not I'm not a small talk guy. I'm not I'm 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 social, ah. yes, but uh, I'm totally incapable to keep small talk. Really? Like that. Absolutely not. Yes, so it's very difficult to me, and so um, I usually don't talk. It's the best way. Um, so, for example, when we have an event at the Invisible Dog, except saying hi, how are you? I don't say more than that. Really? That's enough. There's 500 people in the space. I talk to everybody. And if I want to talk to someone, yes, I have to say, oh, how, oh, I love your shoes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's fine. It's okay. So I can say it once, twice, but not, not more than that. But yes, I'm not surrounded with just smart and intelligent (gasps) people. Like, but it's like, like everybody, it's everywhere. Hmm. Um, Artists can be boring, can be assholes, can be... Mm, that's true. Right? And um, I spend probably more time speaking with my neighbors because I'm known for smoking my cigarettes, sitting on the bench outside and smoking my cigarettes all day long. And yes, I talk with my neighbors a lot. Uh. Hi, how are you? I talk, of course, with the artist of The Invisible Dog uh, very much, but it's not always a party of pleasure. Uh, I guess like maybe any job. Like I would say, ninety percent of my work every day is boring. But I do that. Not boring, but like it's a job routine. Maybe yes, it's that. But I do that because that gives me ten percent of pleasure. Of yeah, percent of something really exceptional. I guess I got caught up maybe in the perception of social media then, right? Like we get to see a glimpse of someone's life. Yes. But you know, it's like, um, I remember when I moved here at the very beginning, immediately most of my friends thought that I was successful. Ah, yeah. Just being in New York. And they don't imagine you living in a corridor in a, dirty apartment in Greenpoint or basement somewhere. No, they imagine you in the rooftop having right. cocktails because that's what you see on TV or on social media. And that's what we show. We show the best, the, the nicest part um, of our life. But no, life is not like that. That's a good point. A lot of people <laughs> love the show Friends. And I'm like, whenever people watch that, I'm like, I can't watch this. That apartment doesn't <laughs> exist. Like, no one. It's funny you mentioned that. that because when I moved here, um, I, I'm, a few years after I met, I met a person who I worked with, Risa Shoup. And she is the person who really explained to me how American society works, mm. how New York works, what's 
how people are talking to each other, the meaning of... When someone was telling me, oh, interesting, I was thinking they were really thinking it's interesting. And she told me, she said, no, that's exactly the opposite. That means they don't care about yeah, that. Formality, right? It's, yeah. Yes. Um, I was telling her, why people are asking me, how are you all the time? <laughs> why they care about that? Um, and I, I remember there was this episode, I was talking with her about how hard it is to make friends here in New York City. And when you arrive here, it's very difficult because there is all these codes. Um, there is a way to meet people and there is all this system of dating. It's too complicated. It was too complicated for me. And I told her exactly that. I said, but friends, they're all together and they speak and she, told, and she answered, but friends is fake. That's why people love it. It's not the truth. Well, so you think people are less or more honest in New Yorker? They are very alone. Ah, that's the thing of New York City. You realize yeah. how alone you are here, despite the fact that we have like eight million people. Yeah, eight this million people—a a crazy social life all yeah. the time. There's always events. There's always something to do. There's always. Um, people are always, I'm, I'm quite sure people have agenda with like four or five options every night. Yeah. Which is true. That's New York City. Oh, that's super interesting. But they keep them alone, steal all of that. And to, to get into them, uh, to get into them, to really penetrate them, it's very, metaphorically I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, it's very, very difficult. Huh. Because apartments are small, because people are not... Just the fact that you can't sit 12, 20 people around the table every night at your home, just that, it's complicated. How can you have great conversation in a restaurant in New York City? Seriously, it's impossible. It's loud, the music is mm. loud, the people are loud. Sometimes you don't even hear your, your neighbor on, around the table. They have to yell... So after five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, your voice is dead already. So you just think about one thing is leaving. Yeah, and like when you leave New York, it's not like my, my dad lives in Maryland. It's so common to just walk down the street and people that don't know you're just like, hey, good morning. But if someone does that here, you're like, that person's crazy. Yes. They get away from me. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, you mentioned cooking before. Yes. Uh, can you tell me about Sam and your involvement in sure. that? Um, three years ago, um, an, another um, passion um, appeared in my life. It was the cooking. I started to cook very seriously. And I not, not only cook, but learning how to cook because I didn't know um, anything about that. And um, so I started to invite some friends for dinner here around just the table. And... and um, um, then I met, I met my today husband and we went together to, um, his parents in Maine. Oh, okay. And, um, it was for Thanksgiving and I don't know, at 5 PM or something like that, the mom said, okay, let's have, let's go dinner. And we entered a dining room. A real dining room. 
the table in the center, the chandelier above the table, the chairs around the table, the art on the side, um, on each wall, a buffet with stuff on it, like that. And all of a sudden I realized that I've never been in a dining room like that, probably since I was 13 or 14. It's finished. It has disappeared. Mm. Nobody has a dining room anymore. There's no space for that. It's a luxury to have a room devoted for just having meals. But when I was a kid, we had dining room at home and breakfast, lunch, dinner were taken in the dining room. There was no way to eat in the kitchen or to eat on the sofa watching TV. No, it mm. was a ceremony, a ceremony every four times a day. You have to sit, eat, and then you do whatever you want. And all of a sudden, I had this image in my mind. I said, I have to create my own dining room. Ma salle à manger, which is Sam in French. Um, where I will have a table with 12 chairs, art, a chandelier in the center, and I can invite people to have dinner, cook for them, and gather them, and talk, and meet, and and it happened. Um, now I'm having this space for three years, um, and I don't know how many hundreds of people came for dinner around the table. That's already. really cool. And I'm cooking for everybody. Um, so I master now. So I'm doing a lot of French cooking, Egyptian cooking, of course. Recently, I'm fascinated by Japanese cuisine. So I try to learn and I mix all of that. I, um, and I read. See, I just got this. Yeah, I saw that downstairs. These beautiful books. I have like a um, um, bookshelf full of cookbook, history of book, philosophy, um, history of food, uh, philosophy of food. I received this one yesterday. This one is about edible flowers. Did you have and an original teacher, like or the first person that started? No, you? my mom was a crazy cook. She was cooking <laughs> all day long. It's funny because... Um, um, uh, my uh, my lover told me um, a few days ago. He said, "That's you, your way to say I love you is to cook. You never say I love you. You don't have. You don't cuddle. You don't ah. do like that. But you cook. You make food. That's your um, love language. And he loved that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 it's true. So my mom was was cooking every day for us, and every day a different meal for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. Hmm. Um, she was spending half of her time in the kitchen, probably, and she loved that. Um, I remember when I was older and I was not living with them anymore, uh, when I was visiting them, my mom was preparing a table with everything I like on the table. Then she doesn't have to ask me, what do you want? Everything I like was already on the table. That's amazing. There was food for 20 people. But in case yeah. I said, oh, I want that, everything was present. That was her way to tell me I love you, yeah. I saw you mention in an interview, let me try to get this right, because I don't think I wrote this down in my notes and I don't even want to go <laughs> through them. Um, because I'm a, I'm like a grazer. Like I what's will, a grazer? I don't know uh, what's a grazer. So um, it's like an animal that will just like 
eat all day long, right? Like just pick at the grass. So like if I walk past a bag of pretzels, I'm just going to like grab some and like come back to it later. But that's American. That's very American. Exactly. Now you, very American. You mentioned in France, people don't snack. There are Never. rules to eating. And I was uh, like, what? Oh, yes. It's a, f- it's a fight with my... F- <laughs> Beaut- one of the funniest story. I am with this friend, Risa Shoup. I talked about her like a few minutes ago. We, w- we are together at the Met Museum. Mm-hmm. It's, fi- it's 4.45 and they announced that the Met is going to close. So they invite us to exit... And so we are exiting the Met and, you know, there's this huge stairs. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, So we are on the stairs and in front of us, there's a family, mom, dad, and two kids. And the two kids are getting absolutely crazy and wild. One of them is on the floor. The other one is yelling and crying. Something happening. Uh. They are French. And I hear the mom saying, no way. You wait until we have dinner. And the kids are crying. Like, you, know, like, you know when kids are getting... Oh, yeah. And the mom says again, no, you won't have a hot dog now. Oh, no. And the scene made me smile. And Risa is witnessing that also. Mm-hmm. And she understands their French. So she's asking me, what's going on? Why the kids are so crazy? And I said, oh, because they want to have a hot dog. And and Risa says, okay, well, and and, but, and mom says no. And Risa didn't understand mm-hmm. why a mom would say would leave their kids like getting crazy <laughs> like that just because they want a hot dog. And she said, but why they don't have a hot dog? She asked me, why they don't have a hot dog? And I look at her, I said, because it's 5 p.m. <laughs> because I understood perfectly what the mom was saying. You don't eat a hot dog at 5 p.m. There's no way to do that. Uh, That's very, very French. And of course, Risa told me, you and your French rules. About, but yes, it's like that. You don't eat, you don't do that, you don't do that, you don't do that, especially about food. Yeah. And you don't snack. Snack is not a thing. There is a very cute uh, expression in the south of France. If a kid say, I'm hungry, and that's not on the time of dinner. Actually, you, you never say, I'm hungry, because you know that dinner comes at 8, lunch comes at 12, mm. and the breakfast. So in between, you know that you can say whatever you want. But this expression, so if a kid say, I'm hungry, you look at the kid and you said, eat your hand and save the other one for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I never knew that either. Yes, very, very strict. With that, and I try. It's and it's funny because I um, I realized during the confinement I became a little bit American, and snacking, because my partner is snacking all the time. He's American, so he's yeah. he's, he's hungry. He opened the fridge, and I always said, "Wait, we're dinner is coming." He says, "But I'm hungry now." <laughs> I said, "Yes, but you can wait an hour," and that's he doesn't understand that. Ah, that is really funny. Yes, it's I appreciate very, very you sharing funny. that. Um, you mentioned Japanese cooking and yes. I had a travel question for you because in like travel circles that I run in, uh, people want to go to Japan because they want to go to Tokyo. I saw something you wrote that you wanted to go to Japan because you wanted to go to two islands, I believe. Yes. Uh, can you tell me about that experience? Yes. There are two islands in, in the south of Japan, Naoshima and Teshima. 
and these two islands has been turned into um, art islands in museums. Mm. Um, so there is a beautiful collection of arts and the way the art is installed there and the whole island is just about art and it's absolutely stunning. It's an... It's another world. It's it's fantastic. And when you read the history of this island, it's just like a guy who loves art. He loves art, and he decided um, to bring there one of the most fabulous collection of art. Pretty traditional, like it's nothing, uh, but still, still absolutely incredible. And um, and I've been there twice. Yes, really. Yes, already. I had never... And I would die to go another one, another time. Yeah. I'd never heard of them until I saw that. Naoshima and Teshima is another island where there is a, um, a building, something built. It's it's a piece of art itself. And it's also phenomenal. And you spend, you spend like three hours, four hours train plus a one hour boat to go there. So it's not easy. To get there. Oh, so you don't stay there, I guess. Oh, yeah, you can stay oh. there. There's a hotel, you can absolutely stay there. But just to get there, it's not easy. But it's yeah. not easy. Yes, you have to take a train, another train, a boat. But it's incredible. Oh, that's what it's makes it extra I, exciting, though. I like that. And actually, I'm going to Brazil in, in two weeks. And same, um, we are making a detour to go see the largest outdoor museum in the world. And it's in the middle of the country. Whoa. Have you been to Brazil before? No, first time. Ah, oh, man, that's so exciting. Very first time. Wow. Do you, um, not in like a social media sense, but do you, do you write at all or do you document those experiences? No, not oh. very much. Facebook, yeah. Instagram, social media. I should write. I have the title of the book I want to write. Is it a memoir? And um, I don't know yet. Huh. Maybe a cookbook, but with... Stories about oh, my cool. life, my family. I like to tell stories all the time. So, um, um, but no, I didn't start that. I don't know. I'm scared. I will come one day. Oh, yeah. I have the title already. Are you keeping that title secret? It's not, no, it's not secret. Um, it's one word. It's called many. Many. And uh, it's funny because you start talking the conversation about that and uh, many is actually um, the acronym of Marseille Alexandria and New York whoa yeah yeah the three cities of my heart yes ah oh, that's so cool well you have your own island where you curate art in a sense and that's downstairs do you think about the future of the invisible dog and like if you want it to grow or to become something or just to maintain what you're doing? Maintaining like mm. that. I don't have, um, I'm not thinking about the future very much. Okay. Uh, this is not my, um, um, I love the present. Um, I love the past when it's past and um, I'm not living with the past, but I like, mm. I think the past nourish us and, for everything in the present, but the future is not really something um, mm. I care about. And my whole life has been like that. I, I never plan anything. Mm. Um, actually, I'm going to Brazil in two weeks and I have a friend there and she's getting crazy with me because <laughs> I haven't booked anything 
a trip, a hotel, and, and I tell I tell her I'll do I'll do that there the last minute. It's fine, but yes, and that's um, a big part of the education of my parents. My parents because they 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 have very painful episode in their life where they have to abandon everything, their life, their friends, their um, belongings, their cities, everything, the people they love. So they always taught me that anything can happen to you, so no need to plan too much things in advance, just leave the present um, strongly. And that's what I'm I'm doing. And I like the way you said I've created my island. It's true, this is, I live here, I work here, I don't leave Bergen Street very much, to be honest. Everything is happening here. It's a beautiful block. I just went down yes. to the coffee shop at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yes. Wow. Okay, I'm going to, in whatever player people are listening to this in, there'll be a link to The Invisible Dog. Thank you. Um, but is there anything we can mention like in the immediate future? I think there's like a there's a shop coming up. There is, a, there is an event on Friday. Mm. Uh, this Friday, it's a, a queer Shabbat. It's, it's a lab shul. Lab shul is a god optional organization, and they oh. organize um, um, many queer Shabbat in the city. And they are back at the Invisible Dog um, this year, and it's absolutely so. It's a real Shabbat, but very very fun. People are singing and praying and eating. Um, and yes, it's mostly people from the LGBTQ plus plus community uh, here. Um, several events are happening and then we'll take a few weeks, uh, actually one week off. And then in December, um, it's mostly holiday market and the invisible dog, uh, with fad market. There will be the first three weekends of, of December and then another break. And then the season starts again, um, with Nicole Manarino, she's a choreographer and dancer and she's having a residency at the Invisible Dog and other projects. I'm working on other projects right now. Very cool. Yes. There's always something happening at the Invisible Dog. Yeah, yeah, it seems that way. Well, like I said, um, just go to the player and you'll find, I'll also have a link to the Instagram account that I think is very cool. Um, I used to send out like so many emails to people and I would maybe get one out of 100 back. Now over time, I've got over 250 episodes. Like it's it's pretty frequently that people write back to me, but uh, still sometimes it's surprising. Like obviously, I'm not uh, I'm not on NPR. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not you know pulling in money off of this. But this has enriched my life in ways that truly I don't mean to over exaggerate. Like I I would never have dreamed of uh, in the past. I would never be sitting here with you. So I'm always just like so full of love and like feeling so gracious to the people who allow me to be in amazing spaces. So both the space downstairs and to be in your home, which has like all this amazing art. Like I feel like I could write a book just sitting here, like all the inspiration. So it's a very long winded way to say thank you, Lucian. This has been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Cheers. All right, Voyagers, that is a wrap on episode 253 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lucien, and everybody that I met in the art spaces and uh, downstairs with the Invisible Dog. I had a wonderful time learning about it and, and hearing about Lucien's story, and I hope that that was inspiring to you. I hope that was informative. I am always appreciative that that people are listening. So, so thank you to you two, uh, Voyagers, for tuning in as always.
Okay, busy times here over at TV TV Industries. I'm working on a massive project. I don't know if it will ever see the light of day. It has to do with being published, but I hope so. Um, but in addition to that, there will be a bunch of episodes coming out here in the uh, in the coming days and weeks. So thanks for sticking with me. As always, please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you very, very soon.